finish this series that we've been calling Given For. We've been identifying who we are. Who are we as a people? Who are we and what are we for? And in a culture that's demanding we stand up for what we are for, we are identifying who we are. And, and, and in this, we need to know who we are because knowing who we are leads us to know what we are for and it establishes what we are for. And so here's been our series, big idea that we've been talking about as a church family, that we are forgiven. And we are forgiven so we can be given for Jesus, for his church, and for our cities. We are forgiven. See, because we are forgiven, we see this as who we are. And because we are forgiven, we're part of his, God's family. And to be part of God's family is to be for Jesus, that we are f- first for him. And we're for each other. We're for the church. And we're for our cities. And if you're, if you're not a part of God's family, or you would say, hey, I'm kind of far from God, or I'm trying to find my way back to God, I want you to know something today. I want you to know that Jesus is for you. This is why he came into this world. He, is, he wanted to show you that God is, is for you because he comes to be God and he takes on the form of a body in Jesus and he comes to live this life to show you that he is for you and he wants something for you. You know what he wants for you? He wants you to experience freedom and he wants you to experience fullness that only comes in knowing him as your Savior and Lord. He came so you could experience freedom in him, a freedom that you can't get any other way, and a fullness that you can't have any other way than what you can receive in Jesus and following him. And he wants you to bring you so you can be fully engaged in a mission that'll bring purpose in your life. And we've been talking about this unique purpose that we have and a universal purpose that we have, that every one of us share this unique or this universal purpose and a unique purpose, that, that we all share this universal purpose of becoming like Jesus, that every one of us has this universal calling in our life, that even you, that you, if you don't even know Jesus, I want you to know that God, the reason you are here, the reason you have breath, the reason you were born is because you were built and God created you in his image. And in that, he wanted to restore that image in you. And that image is that you become like Jesus. And every one of us shares a unique purpose. This unique purpose is how we will use our gift to be a gift to the body of Christ and to be on mission together, engaging in this mission to bless others. See, we have this unique calling. Now, you may be thinking, you know what? That's great. But Casey... I don't know if I'm there yet to be using my unique calling. I don't know if I'm there yet to be able to be used by God to be on this mission that he's called, like you say he's called me. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I need to get some things in order. You know, I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta start, you know, I need to go back a couple steps. I need to get some things right before God can use my gifts. And, and I want to I encourage you with something. And this is, I think, very important for some of you to know. You don't need to have everything together to give something to someone. Don't buy into that lie. You don't have to have everything together to give something to someone. You don't have to have it all together to step out in faith and make a difference with what God's already given you. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to like. You don't have to have this level of maturity to step out. See, we are responsible. Every one of us is responsible to give that out of what we've already received 
so that it may benefit others. Every one of us have that responsibility to to give from what we already receive. See, regardless of where you are in your faith, whether you've been serving Jesus for three days, following Jesus and believing him for three days, or you've been following him for 30 years, regardless of where you are in your faith, you are called to be a disciple who makes disciples. Regardless of where you are in your faith, you are to be a disciple. You have this calling, this universal calling that we all have to be a disciple. And we use our unique gifts to help make disciples. There is no coming of age to this. There's no level of maturity. You know, like when, I, when I'm mature enough, then I'll engage in making disciples. No, we know that, that to receive salvation is to receive this call to follow Jesus. And I, I wrote this in my notes this way because it can get confusing. But see, there's no know enough, there's no know enough that you need to know to help someone who needs to know what you already know. You know that? Now you know why I had to write it down. See, we need to understand that when we follow Jesus, to receive his call into salvation, to make Jesus our saviors, to, all, to automatically make him our Lord and to follow his command to make disciples, a command that he gave his disciples. And because he gave those disciples, they would repeat this command over and over to each other. And this is the reason we sit here today. Because Jesus, who had all authority, gave every one of his disciples the authority to make disciples. When he would tell them, and Matthew would record this in Matthew 28, he would say, he would say therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, teaching them to obey and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, we need to understand that we're giving excuses and that's what we're doing. We're giving excuses when we say, I'm not ready to make disciples. We are airing excuses When we say, that's not me, we're giving excuses. If we've received Jesus as our Savior, we then follow him as our Lord. And we have no excuse to be a disciple who follows this command to make disciples. His resurrection proved his authority. And now we are under his authority. And we live out this command that he has given us to join Jesus in his mission. A mission that he came. He came into this world to seek and save those who are lost. Those who have no relationship with him. Those who the image of God has been broken in their life. And he came to seek and save them. And the way he does this is he uses you and I who have been redeemed, who have been restored and, and God has restored the image of God in us and he's brought us in back, into the, back into his family. He uses us and commands us. He restores life in us and he commands us to go and make disciples. See, we are part of his mission to bring his kingdom into the hearts of all humanity. And together, we're going to be on this mission. See, this is what we're going to be. We will be disciples who are loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. I love this This is a mission of the church, but I believe this is what Jesus came to to bring us all into, that we will be disciples. And what does it mean to be a disciple? It's someone who's loving Jesus, and we're going to love Jesus, and we're going to love Jesus, and because he loved us, and the way we're going to show his love for us is that we're going to join together. We're going to gather together to love one another because this is what he told us to do.
And we're going to become like Jesus. And we're going to become like Jesus by opening Scripture so we can navigate Scripture together. That we can follow Scripture and and come under the authority of Jesus by following what He teaches and what Scripture leads us because this is His Holy and Spirit-inspired instruction for us to live. And we're going to follow Jesus together in community together. And we're going to share Jesus. The way we're going to share Jesus is we're going to love one another and we're going to pray with one another. We're going to share Jesus with each other. And we're going to share Jesus with the lost, the last, and the least by being on mission together to bless. This is what Jesus has called us to do, to love him, become like him, and to share him. And you know something? A church who does this makes an incredible impact. The people who do this together in unity and on mission together, what an impact. This will be. And Jesus would point to this impact. He, he, he shows you and I that, that if those of us who, who follow him, this is the type of impact you're going to make. In Matthew chapter 5, he talks about this impact. He gives you an idea of what kind of impact we are to have and how we are to have this in the church, in our communities. Because Jesus is for us. And because we are for him, we're also for our cities. And this is what he would say. He would say, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the earth. But if the, I'm sorry, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But he said, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he shifts metaphors to make the same point. A, di- a different point about, what, a same point, but a different point. So the salt of the earth, but here's a, a different way, metaphor that gives you a different idea of how we can make an impact. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. To which all of us start to sing, hide it under a bushel. Thank you. You're the first service I did that part with. (laughs) You've responded well. Two metaphors Jesus uses. You're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. In this first metaphor, the salt of the earth, Jesus would would use this idea and this this would connect with this Jewish audience. A Jewish audience who had this, was very familiar with the Jewish religious sacrificial system. Because in this Jewish day, every one of them would be required to bring sacrifices. And every one of them was aware of what happened to those sacrifices. And they would add salt to the sacrifices. And one of the things salt would do, it would, it would, it would exemplify this, this purifying agent to make the sacrifice holy, separate, set apart. And in this, they would add salt to this. And Jesus would look at them and say, you're the salt of the earth. And also, every one of them would understand how they would personally use salt. See, salt would be this preserving agent to keep meat from spoiling. You, the church, those who believe in Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord, you are the salt of the earth. You're this holy, preserving agent in a culture that is against everything Jesus is for. And in this, you are also the light of the world. Light illuminates 
Light will reveal and light will point the way. See, the church is salt that preserves. And it's light that points the way to Jesus. We are salt that, that, that this is how we're going to be for Jesus. And this is how we're going to be for our cities. We're going to be salt that preserves. See, we, this is who we are. We, we, this, is who we're, this is who we are in a world that needs the church to be a purifying, holy, separate than culture. Culture doesn't need to be influencing us. We need to be different than culture because this is how God's going to use us as this holy, preserving agent in a culture that's so needing us to rise up right now and be salt. And we are the light of the world. We're here for our cities. We're here to be a light that points to whom our cities need most, Jesus. See, our cities don't need another program. Our cities don't need another service to be added to this. Our cities need the church. Every one of us who call ourselves a Christian, every one of us who claim that label, our cities need us to step up and be Jesus. Be this purifying, holy agent in our communities and be a light that points the way to what our city needs most, to be the light to the lost, to be the light to the last, to be a light to the least. And Jesus tells us how to to do this. He teaches us to follow him. See, through becoming like Jesus and through sharing Jesus, we're not going to let the world contaminate us, but we're going to be agents of purifying agents in our world by becoming like him. And by letting our light shine through our good deeds, we're going to share Jesus. Not so they say, hey, look at the church or, you know, look what that church is. No, no, no. See, that's not why we do good. We do this. So they say there is surely a God in heaven who is a father who cares for me. We do this. And so we do good works, yes, but for an end, to build goodwill, to share the good news. We do good works. We do good. We serve. We serve the lost. We serve the last. We serve the least. But it's to an end. We don't just do it and walk away from it. We do it because we want to build a relationship. We want to build goodwill with them. If, if you serve someone without the desire to build a relationship with them, you're not joining Jesus in his mission. And we serve to build goodwill, to build that relationship so we can eventually share the good news. And sharing the good news is discipleship. This is what we are called to do. After all, this is our command to make disciples. Our mission is not to just serve others. It's to disciple them. That's our mission. Our mission is not to serve others, but it's to disciple others. And we are commanded to make disciples. And the way we make disciples is we serve them. This is how we do it. Because we want to bring them into a relationship to where they know Jesus. That's our command. That's why we do it. We serve because he is Lord. And this is how we join Jesus in making disciples. See, serving the lost, serving the lost is part of disciple making. It is pre-Jesus discipleship in hopes to build a relationship that will continue into post-Jesus discipleship. 
See, every one of your relationships with whom you live, work, study, and play is on this continuum. If they're coming to follow Jesus, God is drawing them into a relationship with him, or they have put their faith in Jesus as their savior, and now they need someone in their life to continue to help them grow in that grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One is to help them understand that Jesus is Lord and Savior and bringing them in, and this is why we serve but it's to bring them into a relationship with him. And we need to see how serving others is part of this disciple-making process. And it's how we build a relationship to be able to share Jesus with them. This is how we're going to be this holy influence of salt. (laughs) And we're going to be this light that points the way to Jesus and joining him on this great mission that he's given us to bless, a mission that Jesus came to do for all who are far from God. See, We don't serve people and then walk away from them. We serve them and engage in the relationship with them to draw them and help them see how how they can, why they need Jesus and how they can grow in their relationship with him. So today I want to help you see how you can be an influence in our cities, how you can be salt and how you can be light that points to Jesus because we are for Jesus and we are for our cities. And here's our teaching big idea for today, that we will be an influence that points to Jesus We will be this holy influence that points to Jesus by being on mission together to bless. That we will be this holy influence and we're going to point to Jesus. And the way we're going to do this is being on mission together to bless. That where we live, work, study, and play, this is how we're going to join our efforts together to be a church who is loving Jesus and becoming like Jesus. This is how we're going to be this holy force that that is in our cities to preserve what God is doing in, in in a contaminated culture. And we will join our lights together to be a light that illuminates our city to the way of who Jesus is. So people who are searching for life find life in Jesus. And when they find life in Jesus, they'll experience freedom, a freedom that they want and a fullness that they are searching This is how we will bless those in our city. And you notice that that acronym, or that's actually an acrostic that we use here in our church family, this acronym of BLESS, or acrostic of BLESS because it spells a word. And this is something that we use as a rhythm to be a light in our city. I want to encourage you with this today, and this is something we talk about a lot as a church family this is what Jesus would share his, tell his disciples to do. He would send out 70 in Luke chapter 10, and he would tell them, and he would, in this, the things that he would tell them, we use this as a rhythm, like a battle rhythm of discipleship to bless them. And I want to share that with you today. So the B is this, begin with prayer. We must begin here. We can't catch the heart of God. We can't catch the heart of God if we're not connecting with God in prayer. We can't become like Jesus unless we are engaged with him in prayer and submitting our lives to his will. Because that's what prayer is. See, prayer is more about you submitting to God's will than bending God's will toward yours. Prayer is less about your to-do list for God and more about receiving his to-do list for you. And here's how I want to encourage you to pray. And I'll show you where, this, where we get this from Scripture. There's a Father in heaven. Father, in whom are you already at work? I want to encourage you to begin praying this way. Father, in whom are you already at work? And how can I join you there? Father, in whom, today, around me, are you already at work? 
And how can I join you there? See, this is not just asking God to work on your spouse because God needs to work on your spouse, and you clearly see that. I'm glad you laughed. This is not saying, God, work on my kids. This is not saying, God, you really need to work on my neighbor or my coworker. No, this is saying, God, I know you're already at work in the lives of those of, with whom I live, work, study, and play. I trust that you're at work. How can I join you there? How can I join you in this work? Because you know, he's already working in their lives. Jesus would say, tell, send his disciples out to go, and this is what he would say. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He, he doesn't say, go pray, God, bring in the harvest. No, no, no. Go work in the harvest fields, God. We need you to move out there. We need you to move in our city. No, he doesn't say that. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, it's not just asking God to, God, it's saying, God, work in our city. It's not that. It's God, use me. Send me to go to our cities. We don't have to ask God to be working in our community because he's already working. The Holy Spirit is already working in your loved ones. He's already working in your, 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 your classmates' lives. He's already working in your office cubicle. He's already at work in your schools. He's already at work in your neighborhoods. He just needs people to join him. That's what he's needing. He's wanting to use you to join him. See, he already is at work. And prayer is not for us to pray for the lost to find Jesus. Prayer is more for us as a church to be mobilized to reach the lost. This is why we pray. See, our prayer is not for God to move in our city, but for him to move our hearts to be set in motion to go. God, where are you working the lives where I live, work, study, and play? And give me the courage to join you there. So we will be this influence by getting on our knees and asking God in whose life is he at work. And we're going to step up and step out in courage and join him there. And this is how we can do that. One of the ways that we can do that is to do what's next. Listen, listen. And these next three things, I, whenever I teach this, I tell people that none, these don't have to be in this order, but they have to be after prayer. And so the first thing we do is listen to God's call to go. And we also listen to those in whom God is working. This is what we need to do. We need to listen. We need to listen to God's call to go. And we need to... Listen to those in whom God is working. We will not be an influence in people's lives if we do not learn how to listen and discipline ourselves to listen to the people around us. Too many times we're wanting to say something to people when we don't have permission yet. And that permission will only be given after we listen to them. See, you, you want to, God to do the work? Well, you, we need to begin listening, not just to God's call to go, but we need to be listening to others around us. And in this, we may know the answers to someone's life, and we know that that answer is Jesus, but we're not going to gain permission if we don't learn to listen to those who need him. Then we'll have permission to share about him. See, Jesus taught the disciples 
How do I identify someone in whom God is working? And he, he did it this way. He would send the disciples out. And if you read this in Luke chapter 10, actually, it's kind of funny to me because he sends them out into this and, and, he, and he says, take nothing with you. It's like me sending my baseball team out and say, don't take your gloves and don't take a bat. You know, it's like he makes them completely dependent upon him. And, he, and, and then, it, then he, in this, he would, he would tell them and he would say, go. And then he would say, when you go, go to a home. And when you go to that home, knock on the door. And, if, and then you say to that home, peace be with you. And then he would say this, if someone who is a, promotes peace, who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now, that being said, that person would often be called a person of peace. Our culture is not given to this type of a greeting. I do not suggest that you walk up to someone's door and go, knock, knock, knock. They open the door. Peace be with you. Because your peace may quickly return to you. <laughs> I don't suggest that we do this. Because this was a common thing in that culture. And, and we do, though, have a way to know if someone will receive us. We do have a way. You know what that way is? When someone shares their story with you. You may not have gained access to their home, but when someone shares their story with you, they've given you permission into their hearts. See, when someone shares their story and they tell you, and if you go, man, I'd just love to know your story. Man, you don't really want to know my story. Man, I'd love to know your story. Listen to their hopes. Listen to their heartbreaks. Listen to their dreams. Listen to their troubles. Man, when you listen to somebody, it does something powerful in their life. See, if someone trusts me enough for me to listen to them, they are open to a relationship. And when someone is willing to share their story, you have an opportunity with them. See, when we listen and accept someone's story, we give them a taste of the gospel that they are accepted. I mean, what's the first taste of the gospel that you know? It's that Jesus loves you. And you don't have to change anymore for him to love you. And he accepts you as you are. That's the gospel. And when you accept somebody's story, doesn't mean you agree with all the choices that led up, that were a part of that story, that make up that story. But when you accept them and you accept their story, man, man, that, I'm so sorry to hear that. Or, and you don't say, well, I disagree with how you got here. No, no, man, I am so sorry to hear that. Or, man, what an incredible story. What an incredible life. I bet that's been a, you've, you've been, had some ups and downs in your story. You know what? When you accept somebody, you give them a taste of the gospel of Jesus. And we don't have to agree with them to accept them, but we need to, that's the way that we can begin to embody the good news to them. Another way that we can be salt is not just listening to them, but it's eating together. Eat together. We get this opportunity to do what Jesus would do most is eat together. Jesus, in his culture, the, the, in that first century, it, the disciples would be offered hospitality. And when they were invited to a home, that they would be invited to eat with strangers. And this is what Jesus would tell them. When someone invites you into their home, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. Now, in today's culture, you're not likely going to go to someone's door and they go, hey, we got dinner prepared. Come and join us. It's not going to happen. If it does, you may just be highly cautious. <laughs> but in this, 
Some, in this day and age, you know, it took a lot of trust of the disciples to jump into a room and eat whatever they had prepared. But that's exactly what Meal Together does. See, Meals Together build trust. That's what Meals Together do, build trust. And trust builds the relationship. There is something powerful that happens when you share the table with someone. When you share the table with someone, it does something amazing in your relationship together. One, it brings everybody as equal at the table. There's no hierarchy at a table. And, and it, just like at the foot of the cross, no one is better than the other. And it's at a table that those that are unlike us can know they have a place to belong. See, eating together is a symbol. It's a symbol of acceptance and a sign that you have a place to belong. We need to rethink how we are serving our community. We need to rethink how we are living and expressing the gospel message out. This is why we need to listen. This is why we need to invite people who are unlike us. You want to you bring racial reconciliation into our community? Invite someone who's unlike you from a different culture to share a table with you. There's something powerful that happens in this. You want to you you reach into an area or a, a network of, uh, of, of our city? Invite someone out to coffee. You want to build relationships with that person that's far from God, who's nothing like you? Invite them to have lunch after or during the lunch break. Invite them to go get a drink or a soda after, after work. Invite that student that, that is far from God to, to share a, a drink with you during a break and go, get, go, go, go have lunch together. Invite someone, share that moment together and eat together. This is how we will leverage the table to be salt and be light. We want to be a city on a hill, and you want to be that city on a hill? Then we will invite people who are far from God into our home to share a meal. Invite the coworker and the classmates because we believe God is already at work. And we're going to join Jesus in asking that coworker or that classmate to have a meal with us. Now, eating together is this symbol that they have a place to belong. And this is how we're going to leverage the table. And then the next thing we're going to do is S. This is another opportunity that we can engage. And this is serve. This is serve. You know, when we serve others, what we're pretty much doing is we're taking the resources we have and we're using those for the benefit of the others. Now, in Jesus' day, Jesus, I said already, he sent them out without any resources. Except one, he gave them authority. He gave them authority over all sickness. A sickness that would be, see in Jesus' day and age, sickness was common in every home. And nobody knew this better than Luke, the doctor who was writing this. And Jesus would say, heal the sick who are there. When you go into a home, there's going to be sick people there. Because modern medicine hasn't evolved to where it is today. And there there are sick people in every home. And Jesus gave them the authority to heal the sick that were there in this day jesus would share with them how they can how can they meet the practical need that would be in almost every home and he would give them the authority to do so and we we have the authority to do the same we have the authority not just to pray for those who are sick and need healing but we have the authority to meet the practical needs of those 
in our city where we live, work, study, and play. So what do we need to do? We will serve them. We will serve others by leveraging what we have for their benefit. We will serve them by leveraging what we have for their benefit. That, that, that if you're in need, I, yeah, I'll pray with you. But if I have the ability to meet that need, if I have the resource to meet that need, I'm going to leverage my resource for your benefit. I'm going to show up and I'm going to serve and I'm going to help you. When, when, yes, if you need prayer and I can't bring healing, I'm going to come to Jesus and we're going to, bring, we're going to pray for you because we believe God can heal. And if, but if I can meet your need, now that I've prayed for you, I can serve you. And I'm going to leverage the resources I have for your benefit. And I'm going to do that. Now, these listen, the eat, and the serve, you can do any of these in any order. I don't believe there's a specific order to this. Except the order has to begin with prayer. And the hope is that we share the story. And that last S is story. And this is what we need to realize. This is what, how we are on mission to make disciples. See, when we share Jesus' story... We are sharing about the kingdom of God. And the way that you can share Jesus' story is sharing your story. Your story should contain Jesus' story. And when somebody eventually asks you, hey, what's your story? And your story doesn't contain Jesus' story. We need to reframe our story so it contains his story. This is what Jesus would tell them. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This was Jesus' story. This was his message. He would say, the kingdom of God has come near. This is your story, by the way. God's kingdom coming into your life, your broken life. And what has he done for you? He's brought you a freedom and he's brought you a fullness that you couldn't have in any other way because your life was broken. And and this is my story. See, I was a good kid growing up. And even though I was a good kid, there was a brokenness inside of me. Even though I didn't do what other people did, and by all possible means, I had a great life. And, and, and you know what? But I realized I was broken because there was no good enough that I could do to feel fulfilled in life or experience the freedom that I knew I could have until I realized what Jesus did for me. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that I couldn't live And Jesus would die to pay the penalty, not just for my sins in the past, but he would pay the penalty for the sins of all humanity, all who are broken by sin, because every one of us are broken by sin. He would pay for the penalty of that sin against him, against God, for all of humanity, for all of time. And he would come back to life. And when he came back to life, he would freely offer life to whomever would put their trust in him as Savior and follow him as Lord. And that life is freedom. And that life is fullness. This is our story. This is what the kingdom of God has done in our life. And your story is about the kingdom of God in you. How God has grown you. How God, how you are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as your Savior and Lord. This is your story. And every relationship you have is an opportunity for you to engage in that relationship by bless. Beginning with prayer, listening, eating, serving. So hopefully they'll ask you, so what's your story? I'd love to tell you my story. See, every relationship you have is either a pre-Jesus discipleship or a post-Jesus discipleship. 
when, 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 when you see this, see, you're either in this relationship to bring them to know what the kingdom of God and the story of Jesus means in their life, or you're now leading them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as their Savior. This is what every relationship is. And when we serve people to bring them into this relationship, or we continue to live in this rhythm of blessed to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as their Savior and Lord. This is what we are on mission together to do. This is what we are called. This is how we're going to be that holy influence in our cities, that preserving our culture. And we're going to be light that's pointing the way to Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. If we will just join him on mission to bless. Now I want to just share something real quick before we close and we sing this song. Many believe, and maybe you're here today and you believe. Many believe this. Few follow him. Many believe Jesus. Few follow him. Many believe, few follow, but those who follow, they change the world. Those who follow are the ones who make the difference. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you today, will you be disciples on mission to bless and make disciples? Will you make room in your life for relationships so you can be salt and light and be a blessing? We're going to sing this song, and I encourage you to use this song as your response today. Use this as your prayer. Use this as a time of repentance, and use this as a time to be encouraged to go. Will you do that with me?